Welcome to the PEO podcast, where we interview industry leaders to discuss all things PEOs. From compliance to technology to client relations and everything in between, I'm your host, Andreas Toller. We were the newcomers. Mm-hmm. Um, and many of the newcomers had a history of not lasting in the industry. There have been many vendor- vendors who have entered this space and after a few years realized that the unique needs of PEOs compared to the revenue potential was not a good business decision for them. Mm. Um, you know, in my opinion, you need to have a high commitment to the space to be successful as a vendor. Hello and welcome to the PEO podcast. Today we are talking to Craig Babigian, Executive Vice President of Prism HR. As the first employer of the company, we'll dive into Prism HR's early days and the evolution of Prism HR. Prior to um, 1996, um, you know, we mainly served standalone companies you know, with their HR technology. You know, we had some direct clients, but most were sold through uh, resellers. Um, so we had clients in distribution, light manufacturing, um, home health care, some airports, and then some lot of one-off types of industries. And then in 1996, you know, we were contacted by a PEO in Florida. Um, at that time, we had never even heard about PEO. So uh, they, and they heard about us through some large corporate clients of ours um, that we had in Florida. So we presented to them what we had um, and they felt the base of the system, you know, would be a good fit for the industry. You know, it took us many months to analyze their needs um, and then to enhance the product to, you know, fit those needs. Um, And they went live in 97 and uh, they had a little little greater than 10,000 worksite employees, which at that time for us was, Big, right? Right. Uh, that's mid-range for us now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, and then since then, the uh, the PEO industry has been our major focus, um, and and we've been successful in this space, uh, partly due to our commitment and passion for the space, and probably some luck too. You know, as there always is. You know, many well-known payroll and HR products have entered the space over the years. And actually, most have failed. And, and it's not because they're bad products. They're actually very good products. But the structure of their system systems didn't play well uh, with, you know, with the PO nuances. And frankly, the changes needed are quite extensive. You know, luckily, our structure worked well uh, for how a PO operates. Um, and we were willing to make those changes needed. What made Prism HR really successful in the PO space over the market? You mentioned the focus on the PO specific needs, um, willingness to change. Are there any other characteristics that you said, like, you know, were really key and fundamental to the success of the company? Again, maybe this is part of the luck. Um, when we entered this space, um, it was really all about the back office, right? A back office efficiency. You know, how can we do more for less? You know, you know, we we uh, buy benefits, we bill for benefits. How do we make sure we get our money? 
So that was the focus. There was no, keep in mind, this is 96, right? <laughs> there was no client-facing technology at that point. So there was no electronic onboarding or benefits enrollment or employee portals or anything like that. It was very focused on the back office efficiency. The small group that we were at that point, not that I'm technical, but the others were technical, we're all business-minded. You know, I have an accounting background and others had mm-hmm. accounting backgrounds. So we could take business needs and interpret them into technology. And so I think that's one of the advantages that we did have um, at that point and why we were probably successful. And our platform also, even though we didn't have the clients of the sizes that we do now, um, we were starting to get individual clients with you know individual sizes in the thousands. So we had done a lot from the efficiency of the process. So that did as well. So I want to go back now, if I, if I did my uh, research correctly here, you, you were one of the first employees uh, at, at Prism Asia. How do you get connected to the founders, to the ecosystem? <laughs> tell, tell us a little bit more of like how everything started. So the, the roots of the company go back to 1985, um, started by Fred Davison. Mm-hmm. Um, and Fred Davison um, back then started up a consulting company working with small businesses and helping them write custom technology for small businesses. That's when actually I was first introduced to Fred. I needed help writing technology for the space that I was in. And, um, and frankly, I didn't start actually, I met him in 85, but it really didn't start working with him until 87 or so, uh, because I felt I had to work with a bigger group, which failed. <laughs> so I ended up going back to Fred around 88. And so we were actually, so we were working together from that 87, 88 timeframe in the early nineties, you know, I was, um, at a, um, service oriented business. We had 90 employees using a third-party payroll product. And I realized that I want to bring payroll in-house because, you know, 45% of my cost was labor. So I want to get a better handle of your reporting and such on that. So I kept haunting Fred about, hey, do you know any good payroll products out there? And one day he said, you know, he says, I'm looking to get into something versus being this helping all businesses do everything. You know, I want to get into a niche. And he had a payroll background. He says, what if I write it? I said, go ahead. And so so he did, and I was the beta site for it. And we always well worked well together. I mean, I was always intrigued by uh, Fred's integrity. And, um, and it was something unsaid. We never even talked about it, but it was something unsaid that as he got to a point that it was something that um, we would join together on. And that's what happened. Having started a company on my own here, I, I can imagine that like specifically in the early years that there were quite some challenges, right? Well, what, sure. what do you recall? What were the big, uh, big obstacles for you guys? When I joined Fred was late 93, in early 94 timeframe. And there was two of us, right? By 2000, we were at a whopping 15. <laughs> wow, <laughs> look out, right? <laughs> so many years, uh, when you're that size, you're wearing many hats. And actually, it suits you well later because you have a good feeling about all that's happening. But this is typical for any small business. So really, it was more the small business type of issues that every small business has. You know, the challenge for us when we entered the PO industry was something we didn't anticipate. Uh, by the time our first client was going live, 
Uh, we'd already signed up two more, albeit small PEOs. And we thought we were the hottest news in the industry. Like, <laughs> yeah, wait till they see us. Um, and that was until, that was until we attended our first Napio annual conference in 1997, and that was held in San Francisco. Um, by the way, Napio is the um, leading trade organization in the PO industry. So here we are in our booth and had limited, you know, interaction with the attendees. You know, I mean, they barely glanced at us. You know, and we're wondering what did we do wrong, right? And the truth is that we were the newcomers, mm -hmm. um, and Many of the newcomers had a history of not lasting in the industry. There have been many vendors who have entered this space and after a few years realized that the unique needs of PEOs compared to the revenue potential was not a good business decision for them. Mm. Um, you know, in my opinion, you need to have a high commitment to the space to be successful as a vendor. Now, it took us some years to get some traffic in our booth, whereas today, um, when we attend that conference, it's like homecoming for us. So, you know, it's, it's, it's two worlds. You know, another challenge is how different PEOs handle their operations. Mm -hmm. There's a popular phrase in the industry that once you've seen one PEO, you've seen one PEO. In the early days, we found ourselves doing significant development for every new PEO we brought on board. Today, not as much. You know, after you have, you know, 300-ish, you know, under your belt, you've encountered most of the variability. Not to say that we still, still don't have to do some customizations for some, especially some of the larger ones, but it's nowhere close to what it was back then. And I guess going ahead, you know, the last challenge for us was about nine years ago, we were a company of about 35 employees. Last week when I checked, we were at 444 employees and 40 contractors. Now I know that's a lot of fours in there and that you know hockey stick type of growth takes some time to getting used to. You, know, you have to fit into those clothes somehow. So it took us a few years to get comfortable um, with that type of growth, which we have for now for a number of years. And you mentioned a point, you said like at the beginning, you know, a lot of the new clients required customization, right? And special development. And that, that obviously is hard to scale, right? Uh, you mentioned, hey, then we shifted more into standardization and, and you know, one product, so, so to speak. Was that a natural, natural development over time or was there an inflection point where the Prism HR leadership team said like, hey, we got we to gotta change um, our strategy here uh, in order for this to scale? It's not so much that the custom was that custom. It's just that every new one brought something new. And frankly, at the end of the day, there was another user or 10 users who were going to use the same thing. So yes, they're all different, but after some time, you know, you'll get into like, and it might be industry they serve. So, you know, I remember one of our earlier ones focused on um, transportation. So because of the industry they focused on, they had to be it. You know, they, first is a PO who handles one transportation client, right? So there are some unique type of calculations and processes that fit the transportation space. At that point, we didn't have the need. We did it for this company. Later on, we brought on clients who had individual 
transportation clients that, wow, this is great. Um, and we've actually brought on other clients that they just focus on transportation, which is great. So even though it was custom at the time for that client, um, it really became part of the product. So it really grew the product over time. So it so, wasn't a switch, basically. So it makes sense. It was more of a natural development, so to speak, right? And the platform grew with the yeah. needs of, of its clients. You know, we, we talked a lot about the beginning, right? In the mid 90s. If you now fast forward to today, what is your current focus and role within the organization? So my title is um, executive vice president. And the reality is, I still get involved in many aspects of the business. <laughs> For years, I've been kind of the liaison to the industry, served on boards and committees and still do because there's a lot of committees in this space. You know, again, it's not a specific role that I still uh, love to dabble on on the product side, even though I'm not necessarily in the product team and um, client interactions, industry compliance. So again, I still dabble in many areas. So it's not a one specific area that I personally get involved in. And it seems like, you know, this, this um, yeah, theme you mentioned in the early days, right, where you have to wear many hats. Um, yep. So now if we, if we take a little different lens here, right, away from Prismage R specifically and like moving more into the industry as a whole, yeah. right? And how, um, you know, over the years, what are the main changes that you have seen? What, what, the, what were kind of like the biggest uh, inflection points of the industry? Right. PEOs have historically served the blue-gray collar space, largely due to the arbitrage in uh, workers' comp and unemployment, especially workers' comp, right? So in the earlier um, days, clients and worksite employees were not the most tech-savvy. Therefore, the technology serving the industry really focused more, as I mentioned before, on the back office efficiency of the PEO. So this made the technology less appealing to the more tech-savvy white collar. You know, today, uh, the focus for PEOs is no longer arbitrage, mainly because you can't do it in certain areas anymore. So, um, so again, it's still there a bit, but it's not the main focus. And PEOs are actually going after the tech-savvy white collar. Yeah, and above and beyond that, the blue-gray collar is also today tech-savvy. The, the audience has changed. Therefore, it took a little time for the, tech, uh, the technology focus uh, to be more about the client and employee experience. Today, that's there. I mean, it took a few years for that to tra transition to that. In my view, the, the challenge is um, is for many of the PEOs to get comfortable selling that, right? I think they're somewhat still selling on that the technology doesn't compare, and, and it does today. So no, no. Uh, that's been one of the challenges. For the industry, um, or I should say the change, for the industry, the biggest change has been awareness. You know, for many years, if you mentioned PEO, people would question, what's a PEO, Right. Today, the knowledge of PEOs is far greater, especially in the business community. And there are surveys that show that. And it's, it's sometimes I don't even believe the surveys, the numbers I see in some of them. <laughs> uh, but it's, it's definitely far greater. And this can be attributed to, um, to the good work PEOs have done. And also, Napio has done a nice job raising awareness through their marketing campaigns. Also due to the fine work of PEOs and Napio, 
PEO is now referenced in federal and state legislation now. Prior to be that, you know, not where they weren't referenced, you know, one question PR comment you would hear is, is this legal, right? Because you see no reference to it. And it's no coincidence that um, when the SBEA law was passed and the term PEO showed up in the IRS code, investment in the industry increased significantly. That seemed to be the point when uh, that happened. What that did is when the term PEO started showing up in legislation, that added a level of certainty and legitimacy, lack of a better terms, to the industry. And, and uh, you mentioned, uh, as a side note, once once the certainty uh, from a legal side was yeah was there in the industry, uh, investment came. Um, are you specifically referring to private equity acquiring uh, POs, mergers, acquisitions, or what? What specifically right. did you, did you have in mind there? Right, uh, mainly that, mm -hmm. mainly that you know, the private equity dollars that are in the space now. It's amazing the calls you know we all get about. Right. Hey, do you, do you know who's selling, right? <laughs> it's like yeah, selling tickets, right? <laughs> you know, it's a, it, there's a lot of buyers out there and a lot of folks willing to invest in this space because they see it's growing. And again, I think the definitely the, the certainty uh, has, has influenced that. So, And I assume that with the private equity investments, uh, a lot of these dollars are then deployed into growth strategies, go to market sales and, and whatnot. That might then also, to your point, help the industry as a whole, right? With, with awareness sure. and, and other things. So, so now if, if I'm a PO owner uh, and I still own you know, the vast majority of my company, I'm not PE backed, right? What have you seen that like, some smaller PEOs uh, are doing successfully that are not PE backed. You're right. It, it, quite honestly, there's a lot of besides investment by private equity. There's a lot of mergers going on, usually by our clients um, acquiring other um, clients or other folks. But um, so there's definitely that. So that you're seeing some of the larger ones getting larger. However, there's still an opportunity for the smaller PEOs, and believe it or not, startups. Now, it's not what it, like, what it used to be. I mean, to start up a PEO today, you know, it's no longer you can start up a PEO in your basement with no capital, right? You know, you definitely need capital for, you know, legal help, licensing in certain states, bonds. Uh, and um, you should also have the know-how how to run a PEO, right, uh, if you're a startup. However, what is easier and um, accessible to startups and the smaller PEOs is access to technology. And really the cloud changed that, right? With cloud computing and paying for what you used uh, or use, um, that has definitely leveled the playing field. You know, sometimes it becomes the other question. Okay, the playing field has been leveled there. So um, how the bigger play is differentiating their technology right. um, from the others. And they do it by really focusing on the client and employee facing stuff, right? Uh, they're customizing that. And not, I'm not just talking about colors and font, I'm talking about rewriting it. So if the platform allows for that, a lot of them doing that, because really that's what the client and employee see. So that's how they're differentiating with um, doing that level of customization and, or, and integrating other technology. But back to your question, as far as the smaller PO and how they compete, There are SMBs out there 
that just prefer partnering with that smaller local company. They feel they get more personal service. And many times the leadership of these um, smaller PEOs, regional PEOs, have relationships uh, with the local business community, and which is tough to do for the more the national organizations. So, so it seems to be about yeah, specific focus, right? And, and segmentation, clearly know who are your um, clients, what's your ideal client profile. You have, you have seen the industry for years, right? Let me maybe ask the question from a little bit more of a yeah, generic perspective. What have you seen that uh, POs uh, did really well to become successful? Were there certain like criteria or common practices where I said like, hey, and, and then also the flip side, right? I'm, I'm sure you have seen POs that didn't make it over the years, right? right. And that, yeah. that, that had to fold. You know, any certain pitfalls and whatnot that you would say like, hey, these are things to, to avoid here. Early on, you saw some taking certain risks that they shouldn't have. There's much more governance on that today. Um, so thankfully, you don't see that because really that also gave the industry a bad name, you know, overextending themselves in certain ways. So I think they've gotten better at that. I think they, and it still is there somewhat today, is that overall, I don't think the PEOs do a great job really articulating their full value. They've delivered a lot over the years and they're delivering even more today. You know, in my opinion, SMBs don't appreciate the total value they receive from a PEO. Uh, they know it's valuable, right? They'll probably always stick with that, but they, do they truly know what the total value is? And as I mentioned before, or just now, that most PEOs don't do a great job articulating the full value. Um, you know, especially for an SMB, You know, the expertise, the service, the technology and products they receive from a PEO for what they pay, that can't be matched. And there's the cost of what I just mentioned, but there's also avoiding the high fines and fees for not doing something correctly. That's always been there and getting greater. And then also when it, when it becomes a challenge to hire and retain employees, as it was, say, a year ago, and I think it will become that again, The difference a PEO makes to that small instant at SMB, I'm not sure how you assign a number to that. Consequently, historically, the PEO retention rate has hovered around 90%, and it's still there, right? And frankly, the 10% that churns, um, some of those are going to other PEOs, so they're staying mm -hmm. in the mo same model. So not quite sure how much is actually getting away from the industry because of that type of retention. And again, some of the others are going just to another PO, so it's staying with the same model. I emphasize SMBs, which again, in my opinion, is a no-brainer, levels the playing field where they're competing for talent against larger companies. Um, now, having said that, lately, we're seeing an increase in companies with hundreds and sometimes thousands of employees signing up. So they're also seeing value. The other ones are obvious. So I'm not 100% on why recently we're seeing this. Maybe it's because that, hey, yes, maybe this is going to cost us more than if we did on our own if we have thousands of employees, but this isn't our core. This isn't what we do, right? <laughs> Let's give this to someone who does this as, you know, as a business. So it's maybe because of that. Now, in that same thing, I think if you're a PO client, and all is running smoothly, 
you take it for granted. You know, no one wakes up in the morning and said, ah, I wasn't fine today. Great. <laughs> and again, they, they really don't appreciate all that takes to make that happen. COVID was a big deal. COVID had, could have been devastating to PEOs because COVID in, impacted small businesses the most. And who do PEOs serve? Small businesses, right? <laughs> and and they were impacted. I mean, you know, if you look at their worksite employee counts, they went down. Not as much as the rest of the population, uh, but they went definitely went down. You know, we, we, we definitely saw dips to that. Uh, but those counts have actually come back and have gone past where they were last year at this time. Um, so they've rebounded. I mean, I know um, Napio does their... One of the numbers they have is based upon the third quarter 941 compared to the prior year 941. Um, so there are 941 numbers in the third quarter of 2000, 2020, <laughs> which is probably the lowest point of any time, right? Mm-hmm. That had grown, I think, 8% compared to 2019, which is probably one of the highest points in the economy. Right. So even during COVID, they increased, they rebounded to that level. You can't find that anywhere else. So um, now getting back to COVID. So again, it could have been devastating the, the PEO industry. At the end of the day, the value of PEOs really shined through during COVID. Um, you know, PEOs really stepped up um, in helping their clients navigate all the COVID legislation help them with their PPP loans, you know, as far as getting the loans and then filling out the paperwork after to, um, that to sustain those, those costs. And I believe the businesses that experience that will never forget it. And I think the word has gotten down to the business community because uh, PEOs are assigning up clients new to the space, excuse me, at a rate that has never been seen before. New clients, you know, new blood to the industry. Going back to an earlier question you had about smaller PEOs, also during COVID, you know, when you're a small regional, I, there's so many stories of the, the leadership of the small PEOs calling every single client of theirs and asking them, how are you doing? How are you doing, right? <laughs> They'll never forget that. That matters, yeah. That. Mm-hmm. yeah. You know, so, what could have been devastating to this industry, and it hurt for a little bit, a lot of work, you know, some revenue loss. Uh, long term, it's um, it really allowed the that to shine through as far as what their value is. So it seems like uh, you know that a lot of economists right now are predicting a, a fairly positive outcome here for the U.S. economy in the short term. Based on what you're saying, are you expecting the same growth or higher for the PO industry as a whole? Oh, without a doubt, because mm-hmm. keep in mind, they're bringing new clients, but the existing clients they have, they still haven't hired back all the people, right? So you're going to get that on top of new growth and new growth that they've never seen before as far as the client count. So yeah, no, just on that. And again, the word is getting out on the value. I think COVID also gave businesses time to sit back and rethink how they do business. There's a lot of things that have gone to this. I mean, I re- refer to, I mean, again, Napio's done a phenomenal job in marketing 
and, and awareness. There's new campaigns out there. So all this comes together, right? Um, you know, it, seeing the marketing, seeing the messaging, hearing from other small businesses, how PEOs help them. And um, so, yeah, I, 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 there's a very bright future there. So, so you mentioned throughout our conversation day multiple times, like the technology and like you can, uh, I can sense you're, you're, you're passionate about this, right? Uh, if you now uh, look out here for, for the next uh, you know, years to come, what kind of trends um, are you seeing? Um, what kind of trends should PO leaders um, watch out for and focus on? Yeah, sure. So maybe right now, not so much years out, but what's really kind of trending and popular now, right? It's really about delivering more and improving the experience of the worksite employee and worksite managers. And, you know, it's making the portal something more than looking up a paycheck or reviewing their benefits or getting their W-2. I mean, those are table stakes. It's about providing more information, access to processes, access to products, you know, making that self-service, that portal, something that employee and manager depends on, on a daily basis for a variety of reasons. And, um, you know, whether it's, I need to know where my, four, how my 401k is doing, or what benefits do I have, or should I change this, or a host of reasons why in, in, in making that a, a destination on a daily basis is getting them there. Now, take that further. Okay, so you have this employee experience and people can look up and change things, right? But how can you make that better? Well, triggered workflows are key to this too, right? So let's look at an example. Let's say an employee has a life event. Uh, let's say it's a newborn. So the employee indicates that they had a life event with a date. I, you know, we had a baby on this date. And they indicate that they're on the portal. You know, that triggers a life event, benefit enrollment which alerts the employee, now you're eligible to change benefits or add dependents and so forth. And then the, benefit, and the employee walks through. They could be doing this on a Sunday morning and not waiting for the HR department. You know, they came home, you know, last night the baby was delivered and this morning it's covered. That's an example, right? It's not just updating my tax filing. It's something happened to me and I need to do something about this. And it's a Sunday <laughs> or two o'clock in the morning. You know, workflows are, um, are key. Making the messaging smarter. So again, focusing on the worksite manager and employee facing technology. You know, let's look at an example for an employee who, let's say they're not enrolled in the company's 401k. You can use this space to message them that, hey, and by the way, let's also assume that the client has a safe harbor match, right? So in this space, you can message them that, hey, you're losing out on free money here, right? <laughs> so you give them a free money, you're losing out on free money messaging, click here to enroll, right? Because by the way, getting people to participate in these areas, do benefits and retirement, adds stickiness to that company. So they click to enroll. Now, that's for someone who's not enrolled. Well, what do you do with that same space for someone who is enrolled, right? Well, because they're enrolled, the messaging is different. You know, perhaps the messaging is your 401k balance has increased X percent in the past month, right? Click here for more details. You get different messaging, keeps them engaged. Um, so those are just a couple of examples that it's not just having a place where employees and, and managers can go to do something. 
is basically being smarter with the space. And that's today. I'm not, you know, this is not five years from now where we're fighting to be the, probably the most important area. Let me maybe ask a question about today then, right? You mentioned some really interesting themes here, right? The employee experience, information, self-service, um, engagement strategies, right? Among other things. We earlier talked about how do you explain the value to your clients, right, on an ongoing basis. Now, if I look at these themes, right, that they're available for, for PEOs today, do you have any recommendation how to measure that, how to measure engagement to success, and then also provide the clients with these metrics in order to, you know, on an ongoing basis, prove, so to speak, the value to, uh, to the clients? Yeah, and historically, and POs have actually tried to do that over the years, and usually through their CRM product, is capturing all they do. Now, the the challenge to that is for those companies to use the CRM CRM product, right? Because sure, you can capture statistics that we produced X amount of checks for you, and we did this. You know, things that are generated by the system, which can be part of that report card. You know, do you know we processed, you know, 4,000 payroll checks for you last year? We did this, you know, things that the system does, we can count those and be part of the report card. Um, but above and beyond that, you know, we spent 15 hours on site training you to do this. Well, it's not system triggered. So we've, and people have been doing this for years. I don't think widely enough or to the extent, but basically leveraging their CRMs and capturing that. Um, I know we output that type of data for the purpose of that, as far as what people have done. But and then within our CRM product, we you know can capture all the other activity. It's kind of blending those together and doing a report card. So that's keeping your current clients realizing, oh yeah, you do a lot for me, right? You know, it's just a matter of how do you do that for someone who's not a client, <laughs> you know, and get them to that point. I mean, I guess the only measurement to that as far as how successful you are with that is if you change your ways and trying to articulate your value differently, what has been your change in sales? I think that's probably the, probably the biggest metric. But actually, you know, can I go back to uh, one thing we were talking yeah. about and maybe takes us a little bit more in the future, uh, actually kind of now into the future where I really think the future is, is instead of, you know, a workflow is, if they're not enrolled, do this, you know, it's something pretty straightforward, right? But it takes someone to actually put that logic in the system that if this is, then do this, right? But reality is where a lot of this is really going is kind of more the AI. For many years, we've been talking about big data and AI, but it was always difficult to give real world examples on how that was being utilized in the PEO community. But now there actually are examples and, it, and it's coming fast and furious, which is great. For example, when a SMB comes on board with a PEO, there's some, some underwriting process, right? For workers' comp, for health insurance. And that's historically been a very long process for the underwriting. Now, there's the ability to take underwriting technology and integrate that to AI technology that's there and in use in the industry. So therefore, as data is sent, they're comparing it to millions and millions of records. And 
a response is back pretty much real time. So cutting that lag down. Whereas prior to that, it was a multi-day process for the underwriting. Time consuming and frankly, kind of make, kills the deal for the um, prospect. Yeah, AI is such a fascinating topic, yeah. right? And thanks, thanks for making this a little bit more tangible, right? Like as, as one example, what, what can be done today? And it will be, um, yeah, really interesting to see what, what will develop here over the next well, fi five, 10 years, right? Yeah, well, actually, so the couple other areas, so you have it mm -hmm. in the underwriting process. Another area is in workers' comp, um, where if you're doing claims management, um, and I don't know if you have history with this, but it's important to really be on top of that claim at all times, right? Well, with AI technology, again, this is something that's there today. People are using this today. So I have a workers' comp claim, and I'm a claims manager, and I have all this information about this claim. I can filter it through this AI technology. And again, they're comparing it to millions and millions of records as, as far as comparing that claim to similar claims and being predictive about it. So this is what's going to happen to this claim. You're going to settle for X. It's going to take this much time. It's going to cost you this. That type of information known at the beginning allows that claim manager to make better decisions, better decisions that claim manager makes makes it better for that SMB because, you know, there's a um, phrase in the workers' comp claims area that your rates do go up by accidents, right? <laughs> so <laughs> better managed claims saves the um, SMB big time. Another area that's employee-facing is um, benefit selection tools. I know you might say, well, there's been benefit selection tools out there for years. And that's true. There have been. But when you compare it to an AI-backed benefit selection tool, where it's not just filtering through some simple rules, it's comparing against a million, millions of records of people of your demographic and what they've done and what they do and coming back with that, ah, oh, okay, I see this. So I just see this, I, those are just four examples that are being used today. Um, so, and that's where I see it all going. Uh, making and helping people make better decisions. Yeah, and you're talking about real value at this point, right? If if the benefit selection tool are getting more sophisticated and we can now help the uh, end users, the employees to make better decisions, now now we're changing the... Uh, sure. yeah. Selecting benefits is petrifying to a lot of employees. I don't know which one to take. And the, and especially, the you know, the, the nice thing when you're with a PO, many times they'll have access to multiple health plans, right? Which one's better for me? Something to instantaneously come back and say, okay, based on what I know from you and some questions you answered, they're not just simple rules they're passing it through. Those are game changers in my estimation. This podcast is sponsored by ThrivePass, a trusted PO partner for employee benefits from pre-tax accounts to COBA administration. ThrivePass empowers employees to thrive through exceptional service and innovative technology. More at thrivepass.com. Thanks for listening to today's episode. Don't forget to subscribe and visit us at po-podcast.com to learn more. I'm Andreas Deptoller and this is the PO Podcast. We'll see you next time.